Thank you for joining us here at Prevail Church for this podcast. We hope this experience builds your faith and impacts your life. For more information about Prevail Church, visit us online at prevail.tv. Now let's tune in. If you have a Bible with you, Luke chapter 10. If not, it's going to be on the screen anyway, so it's okay. Luke chapter 10. Verse number 25. Just then, a religious scholar stood before Jesus. In order to test his doctrines, he posed this question. Teacher, what requirement must I fulfill if I want to live forever in heaven? Jesus replied, what do you read in the law? How do you understand it? The religious scholar answered, it it states, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your passion, all your energy, and your every thought. And you must love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, that is correct. Now go and do exactly that and you'll live. Uh, Verses start by saying we're talking about a religious scholar. He was an expert in the law, had devoted his life to understanding it and living it. And his question was about how to better do that. I had experience with the law as a kid. Maybe not how you were thinking of it. About eight years old, nine, I remember being at the dinner table and my mom and dad had prepared a lovely meal. We were about finished and I had eaten everything on my plate. We were a clean your plate kind of family, you know. And I had eaten everything on my plate except for this mountain of peas. Thousands of them. And yeah, it was, a, it was tall. <laughs> and so I, I, I had eaten everything but that. They were finished. They got up from the table and were leaving. And I thought I could too. Uh, but that's not the house we live in. So they laid down the law. <laughs> and said, you uh, can get up right after you eat all of your peas. And you know what I said? Any ideas what my question was to them at that point? Why was a good one? I was afraid to ask that one. By when we covered that. (laughs) My next question was, Wait a minute, what do you mean by all my peas? Right? Like, I mean, we, you, the meal was great. I really enjoyed it. I ate a lot of stuff. I'm pretty full. You don't want me to overeat. What if I just eat most of them? We had a discussion, and they finally agreed um, to let me eat most of them. Any idea what my next question was? Yes. <laughs> how many? How many is that? You know, are we talking like seventy-five percent? You know, um, right? How many peas 
out of this mountain do I have to eat? What I expected from them, because I wasn't a parent yet, right? I'm eight, nine years old. What I expected was that they had some predetermined number in their mind that once I reach that number, poof, I had fulfilled their requirement. The truth was, they didn't care about the number at all. They didn't, have any, they didn't have any reason to believe that nine peas in my stomach were better than eight peas in my stomach. The entire point of the exercise was to teach me a larger lesson. That was their intent. They were trying to teach me about about respect and about gratitude. That's why they wanted me to eat all of that. They wanted me to be appreciative for what I'd been given. The peas were only the vehicle to get me to the lesson. But but I, but I worked so hard, I did so great, you know? I did fabulous. Didn't they hear my insightful questions? And how it made them think about things that they wouldn't have probably thought about on their own. They wouldn't have known. I even ended up having them write more laws than they planned to to begin with. I made them be more specific and miss the point. I took this life-changing lesson and made it all about a vegetable. This religious scholar wanted an, an understanding. He wanted to fulfill the requirements of entering heaven. In verse number 27, he begins to list them as part of his answer to Jesus. Let's, let's go on a, a journey real quick with him and see how we do. The first one was love God with all your heart. Cool. Um, how many of us do that? I feel like I do, right? I feel like I love God with all my heart. Not a lot of hands though. Maybe most of the way, part of the way. How far? Yeah, it feels, it feels like we do, right? We try to love God. But not every day. Like, there, there was a day this week that we had words, me and God, Seriously, if you've, if you've never had words with God, it wasn't because you didn't feel like you wanted to. <laughs> Maybe you felt like you couldn't or you shouldn't, but in a relationship, there's always at some point going to be something that causes some tension. And it's just the nature uh, of it. Sometimes I, I didn't, sometimes this week I wanted to, but I didn't love God with all of my heart. There were pieces that because I was hurt, I wanted to hang on to. 
I'll give you most of it today, and maybe we'll see how tomorrow goes, and you'll get some more of it. But this is what I've got today. But I feel like I love God with all of my heart. Let's, 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 it's a little tough to define, right? Like, so let's take a look at the rest of them. We've got a list here. Here's what he laid out. All your heart is devoted to loving God. All your passion devoted to loving God. All your energy devoted to loving God. All your thoughts devoted to loving God. All your neighbors are loved as yourself. That's the requirements. Uh, so how do we do with like passion? Well, is all, all of your passion um, de- devoted to loving God? All of it? Well, what do we mean by passion? Because that word could be a little fuzzy, right? How do we define that one? We might get a few different answers if we talk to one another about it, you know? Um, let's go with something a little easier, maybe. Thoughts. All of your thoughts devoted to loving God. We can define that one a little easier, right? All of your thoughts devoted to loving God. Yeah, that's, that's easier. Well, how many do I get to keep for myself? Is there like a percentage? Can we do like a 90-10? Most, like 90, 10, maybe 99. Can I keep one? Can I have a thought that's all mine? It's a lot of alls in that list. What if, what if I do really well for a couple of weeks? And then I have an off day. And he only gets 90% of them. Do I still get to say that all of them are his at that point? It was just an off day. How many off days does God... Let's, let's assume that we have all these answers, right? What if this religious scholar had left the conversation with Jesus, and from that point forward, he had done all of these things. Jesus said, well, then you live forever in heaven. That's how it goes. But what about all the time that, like, how much of your life do you end up having to do that for? Do you do all of it? Like, what happens to the days that before he knew how to work all of this out, this formula? Like, does he still get, does he still get credit? Because that was before, and he just now knew all the answers? See, the problem was that this scholar thought he had something to do with this equation. God had given his people the law in the first place as a vehicle. So, not, not, not so they could know what God's righteousness looks like. That wasn't it. It wasn't these Things comprise all of the righteousness of God. It's not the purpose. He gave them the law so they could understand they'd never get there on their own. I think we forget sometimes how much of their life they devoted these scholars 
to the law and understanding and defining it. They, they did so much work and effort. Uh, there was so much there. They even added subpoints to the laws. Uh, do you know how many, how many laws there were? By the time you get through the whole Torah, uh, 613. Plus all of the subpoints that they added over the next few thousand years. Whoa. But instead of all this understanding of the law causing them to realize they weren't able to earn God's approval, because even, even following the law wasn't going to cut it, right? So instead of realizing that they weren't able to earn God's approval, it just caused them to try harder to check the boxes. That's why Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, I think I've got it here. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds theirs, the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven because even all of the things that they came up with were never going to be enough. It would be a great thing if we could learn to stop focusing on the God in the Bible and get to know the God of the Bible. That will change you. He wants us to know him, not the things. Romans 3, verse 19. This is what Paul said about it. Now, we realize, and if anybody was going to know the law, right? Paul was pretty good at that one. Romans 3, 19. Now, we realize that everything the law says is addressed to those who are under its authority. This is for two reasons. So that every excuse will be silenced with no boasting of innocence. And so the entire world will be held accountable to God's standards for by the merit of observing the law, no one earns the status of being declared righteous before God. For it's the law that fully exposes and unmasks the reality of sin. Verse number 21 kind of sums it up. But now, independently of the law, the righteousness of God is tangible you can't touch it with the law. It's independent of that. The righteousness of God is tangible and brought to light through Jesus. You can go two routes. You can either try to check all of the boxes and justify yourself or you can trust that God already did it. Amen. Can't do both. It's not an easy thing to do in practice, right? That's why we're going to spend some time talking about grace next month. Where'd our religious scholar um, end up with all that? 
By the time he had this conversation with Jesus, it had been 600 years that Israel had been occupied by hostile forces. It was, a, it was an uncomfortable place and often dangerous. The concept of neighbors and who comprised those was a pretty hotly debated topic in the church. They talked about it a lot. They said, you know, well, if the law says we're supposed to love our neighbor, got a couple of questions, right? A couple of questions. Um, what about our enemies? How do, we, how do we treat them? Well, the opposite of love is hate. So if we love our neighbors, then we hate our enemies. Now we just need to figure out who are not our neighbors. Then we know who to hate. And they were justified in their hate. Because it was taught at church. They heard as they went to church that these people over here are okay to hate. Because, I mean, if you follow the path where God meant to go was, I mean, if he had been specific enough, he would have said, hate these people. That's why in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, you've heard it said that you should love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's where that was coming from. Because that's what they learned at church. Church is not safe from error. Right? How many of you heard something wrong in church before? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right? Once or twice? Once or twice? There was a race of people that fell into this hate category called the Samaritans. And Jesus is going to tell a story that includes one of them. The scholar said in verse 29, wanting to justify himself, he questioned Jesus further, saying, what do you mean my neighbor? Does it sound familiar to bring back, do you hearken, you know, any stories from long ago that we have encountered in the past 13 minutes? Yeah, that's the same thing I said as a kid. What do you mean by all my peas? You see, we were both trying to find ways to justify ourselves. Our goals were pretty similar. Check them out. He had two primary goals, the things that he wanted to know. One was he wanted to know who he had to love, kind of like I wanted to know how many peas I had to eat, right? We wanted to know whether we'd done enough work to qualify. Second thing uh, was he wanted to know who he didn't have to love. 
I wanted to know how many of that mountain of peas I didn't have to eat. Because we were both hoping to find a loophole. Give me some sort of reason that I can be justified in not following all of the law. Maybe, maybe most of it. I'll still be all right. Cause I found a loophole. He was so concerned with his theology and making sure that it was correct and well-defined that he missed the point of the theology. He knew what was right, but he didn't do what was right. He took the real lesson that God would have him learn and turned it into counting peas. You know, he seemed really confident, this scholar, that he was doing great in the execution of the first part, right? The loving God part. No questions at all about that. We're solid. <laughs> all those were good. Gotcha. Love God. Jesus was about to teach him that loving all of those who are created in God's image is loving God. In other places, Jesus uh, had said it this way. There were two commands. You know, what's, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus said there's two. Well, that makes no sense. <laughs> it's like asking who's the best basketball player of all time. We already got some thoughts, right? You can't say, it might, uh, you'll, you'll hear a lot. Some people will say Michael Jordan. Some people will say LeBron James. What's that? Oh, yeah, uh, yes. All sorts of different opinions. We can even add a Celtic to the list, yes. Oh, Larry. And in all of that discussion, how many times have you ever heard it end in, well, it's, I mean, the, the greatest basketball player, it's LeBron James Larry Bird. <laughs> right? You, you don't, because... I mean, one has to be the greatest, but what Jesus had said is there's two, and it can be said that way because the second one is just like the first one. Love God and love the people who are created in his image. It is not right. I don't get to say that I love God if I don't love all of his images. He tells a story that's going to feature this Samaritan. Won't go into a lot, but there's a lot about the Jewish people and the Samaritan people, right? Um, quick Google searches will give you a load of that, even if you don't read novels. They were half Israelites. They worshiped the same God. Their Bible didn't look the same. But had you listened to them, they looked enough alike. You wouldn't even know necessarily by looking at them that they were different races. You wouldn't even tell they were different, likely, by listening to them talk about God. But the Jewish people had found a reason to hate them. And it was justified. They created their own problems with each other because of their differences in 
is tribalism and differences in, philosophy, in uh, theological philosophy. But they had done things like the Samaritans, some horrible things. We're trying to have Passover. It's sacred. And they desecrated the temple during Passover. Jewish people wouldn't even walk through Samaria because they considered the people to be unclean. They didn't want to get too close to them because they might get some on them. And then they'd be defiled. So... To help him understand the point, Jesus tells a story, and any Jewish person listening to this story would feel and understand that, oh, if there's a Samaritan in this story, he is definitely going to be the villain. Let's read it. Verse 29. Wanting to justify himself, he questioned Jesus further saying, what do you mean by my neighbor? Jesus replied, there once was a Jewish man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho when bandits robbed him along the way. They beat him severely, stripped him naked, left him half dead. He was hurt. You couldn't look at him without understanding that he was hurt. You know, this, this, wasn't, this isn't the only hurt person we're learning about today, though. If you think that this religious scholar could go through an entire life like that and not be in pain and guilty, not a way around it. It's an unsatisfying life. They left him half dead. Soon, a Jewish priest walking down the same road came upon the wounded man, seeing him from a distance. The priest crossed to the other side of the road and walked right past him, not turning to help him one bit. He had to walk on the other side of the road because they're really narrow. Otherwise, he'd be stepping over him. Later, a religious man, a Levite, those are temple assistants, came walking down the same road and likewise crossed to the other side to pass by the wounded man without stopping to help him. Finally, we don't know how long this took, how much later it was, how long he'd been lying there naked on the road waiting to die. Finally, a Samaritan came upon the bleeding man and was moved with tender compassion for him. It hurt him to see that somebody was hurt. He stooped down and gave him first aid, pouring olive oil, oil in his wounds, disinfecting them with wine, and bandaging them to stop the bleeding. Lifting him up, he placed him upon his own donkey and brought him to an inn. Then he took him from his donkey and carried him to a room for the night. The next morning, he took his own money from his wallet and gave it to the innkeeper with these words, take care of him till I come back from my journey. If it costs more than this, I will repay you when I return. And Jesus said, so now tell me which one of these three men who saw the wounded man proved to be the true neighbor. Well, this, this, this scholar had asked one question and Jesus answered him with a question. 
And so now um, he's answering again with a question. And it seems different than the answer seems a bit different than the question. Take a look. The question was, what do you mean by my neighbor? The response was, so now tell me which one of the three men who saw the wounded man proved to be the true neighbor. Let's look at the difference in what was intended here. What the man wanted to know was who is my neighbor and who is not. What God intended through that law was who was a neighbor. He wanted you to be a neighbor. Verse 37, the scholar responded, well, that was the one who demonstrated kindness and mercy. And Jesus said, yeah, go do the same as he did. This was a devastating answer to have to hear. He had come into this wanting to win an argument. He wanted to be able to prove that he was justified in hating the Samaritans. And he left being told that he should go and be a Samaritan. Who? There is no part of him that wanted that. He understood because he was able to answer Jesus' question, right? He understood that the man who was the neighbor was the Samaritan. Doesn't make it easier to do. Oh, he would have identified as he listened to this story. He would have identified with characters in it, right? There was the priest. He could, of course, identify with him. Um, he had to be holy and clean in order to offer sacrifices for the people. He was familiar with that. I can, I can get why he didn't help. Of course, I understand why this priest didn't help. Uh, he's probably thinking this man is beaten and bloody and the law says that I can't make myself unclean for somebody who's not a relative. What if he dies? Then I, I'm gonna have to spend days in cleansing and I won't be able to sacrifice for the people. What if it becomes my fault that their sins aren't forgiven because they couldn't sacrifice? I'm justified. Of course. God would agree with me. The Levite, a little bit different. He's a temple assistant. They did things like playing music and preparing food and serving as a guard. They didn't offer any sacrifices. Literally, there were special requirements for the selection of priests, but uh, literally anybody from his tribe could have filled in for him. Didn't stop him from using the excuse. The law gave both men reasons to consider this man their neighbor. But they use different parts of the law to justify their not helping him. They were more concerned about their own cleanliness than helping this man who needed it. Jesus was saying, there is no one who is not your neighbor. All of them. Who is my neighbor? Yes. 
All of them. Well, that's not practical, is it? Take a few lessons. Uh, I, can, I can see him walking away from this conversation a lot like the rich young ruler that came to Jesus. Jesus, he, he wanted the same thing, you know. What do I have to do? Get me into heaven. Jesus said, sell all your stuff. Give it to poor people. Mm, yeah, I can't, can't do that. I got a lot of stuff. It's pretty nice. It's a comfy life. He was attached to his things and he couldn't do it. This man was attached to his religious career. And he was so concerned with how it might change his life if he had to do this. He'd have to give up everything if he was going to do this thing. It would have cost so much. He'd spend his entire life. Two major lessons that he learned. Even if you keep all 613 laws and the subpoints, it won't get you any closer to God's righteousness. Won't do it. Separate things, independent. Because <laughs> righteousness isn't earned. Second thing was complete obedience. Now, partial, we can handle. Find me a loophole, I can make this work. Partial obedience, but complete will never cost more than you have. It will cost everything you do have. This was a long time ago. That's what happened in the story. Love my neighbor. Like, we didn't get, we still really don't know what to do with that. The first thing we have to do is get past this word love. Language itself is uh, pretty muddy, you know? Language is messy. Um, love is just a really useless word. Think about all the things you love, right? I, I love my wife. <laughs> I love my car. I love peanut butter. How is that the same word? We don't distinguish a difference when we say it. We do distinguish a difference when we use it. We've been talking all of this month. Love is a verb. It, this, this word is not feeling fuzzy about your neighbor. It's about doing something. The what, we see some stuff in the story. It gives us some clues about what love is and what it's not. First thing. Praying for your neighbor is not God's idea 
of loving your neighbor as yourself. Well, you're gonna have to tell me more about that. That sounds a little sacrilegious to me, right? Um, you saying God doesn't want us to pray? Spoken like a true pea counter. <laughs> right? Praying's not God's intent for loving your neighbor as yourself. Think about what happened on this road. Think about what happened that, or what, I'm not saying that prayer doesn't matter. I am saying that the story didn't say that the Samaritan saw him laying in the road, got off his donkey, knelt down in the dirt, and offered up a beautiful prayer for his healing. But it was heartfelt. <laughs> I am saying, I could hear the priest as he walked by this man saying to himself, you know, I can't do anything to help him, but I'll pray for him. We use it as a loophole, an excuse that is not loving our neighbor as ourselves. Romans 13.9 says it this way, love and value others the same way you love and value yourself. That means that there is no difference in the priority of your neighbor's needs and the priority of your needs. Let's go on. Love your neighbor as yourself. By doing things to make their path less difficult. I, 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 I love everybody. I, I mean, I don't, I don't hate anybody. I love them all. What do you do with that love? What do you do with it? Well, I, I mean, I would love to love my neighbor as myself, but I don't even love myself. I get that. It feels like, why, why would I want anybody to have somebody love them the way I love myself? Because I'm not really good at that. I put myself through a lot. Right? But if we are honest enough about the decisions that we make and the actions that we take somewhere along the line, the reason that we are harder on ourselves and don't love ourselves is because it would be harder to change. I would love to change, but I just can't. Why? Well, I've tried. It's just too hard. So it's easier, whatever it would take. Now, there are, there are a lot of things that go into loving yourself. We don't have the time, right? There, it, there are mental health things. There are all sorts of implications that go into loving yourself. I'm not talking about all of that. That's, that's a big topic, right? I am saying that we do things that make our own path 
a little less difficult. We take the road that's a little easier. That you can do for your neighbor. Make their road a little bit easier. Make their burden a little bit lighter, right? Remove some obstacles that you may see in their path. Next, love your neighbor as yourself. By caring for their wounds when they hurt. How long do you think this man spent laying in the road naked, hurting, bleeding, waiting for the moment that he was going to die? He was hurt. The priest saw it. So much so that he could tell from a distance. The man was hurt so badly, the priest could tell from a distance that he wasn't going to want to be near that. How often do we see people from afar off and you recognize the signs? I really, I really don't want to be close to that. They're hurt. I, I get it, but it'll get all over me. We just, God will be okay if I just walk on the other side. I think it's interesting. The Samaritan, in order to help this man, didn't impose on anybody. Don't impose on people when you're trying to help them. He absorbed the imposition. He got down off his own donkey and started walking so that his neighbor didn't have to because he couldn't. His own supplies. He didn't go out and beg for those. Could you please help me with this man? Look how bad he's, he's all bloody and gross. I mean, feel sorry for him. Give him some stuff. He had it in his own capacity to do it, so he did. The time that it took, the money, he didn't ask the innkeeper for a free room. Look, I brought you this man that's in a bad job. I did the best I could, but he's going to need to stay here for a while. I mean, have some compassion, dude. You can cut him a break on this room, right? No. He gave him enough money at the time it would have allowed for three weeks of this man staying there. Next, love your neighbor as yourself. Oh, even when it could be you that gets hurt. This road was very dangerous. I won't spend a lot of time talking to you about why it's pretty easy to learn. There were no neighbors on this road. It was desolate. They even called one particularly dangerous path or pass uh, the ascent of blood. There were gangs and people who wanted to avoid the authorities that roamed through here. And it wouldn't have been unusual to happen on somebody that had fallen victim to these gangs, people. Even the Romans felt like this was an unsafe road. It would have been easy to think, what if well, I see this guy laying here, this, what if it's a trap? What if they're still hanging around and they're just waiting for me to stop? And they jump out and do the same thing to me. You know, it's kind of dangerous. I, oh, no. So we say that it's better if they hurt than I do. The Samaritan put himself at risk to help. Next, to love your neighbor 
even when it's messy. How many of you know that people are messy, right? If you have never been a mess at any point in your life, I really want to know more about you. Teach me that, because sometimes I'm a mess. Sometimes it's risky because it's their own fault they got hurt. The man knew that this road was dangerous. He shouldn't have been traveling down this road all by himself. It's dangerous. It's his own poor decisions that put him in that place, right? It's a tragedy, but he made his bed. Don't make them feel, these neighbors that you're helping, don't make them feel self-conscious or guilty about their hurt. He didn't spend a lot of time talking to, this, talking to this Jewish man laying on the road about how bad his situation was and what he did to get there. Don't make him feel guilty. How many of you been helped by somebody that made you feel guilty because they were helping? Same, same token. Don't make people feel guilty for not helping. That's reverse loving your neighbor. We don't have, we don't have time for that one. I like the words that are used. Uh, when it came time to take this man off the road, the Bible says that he lifted him up and put him on his own donkey. Build people up. That's loving your neighbor. Tearing down your neighbor, that's what the thieves did. Next, love your neighbor even when you're busy. The, um, the priest surely had places to be. Should have been a model of spirituality. He let his duty get in the way of his responsibility. The Samaritan was in the middle of a journey. He couldn't stay, but he took the time, slowed down, and he stopped and helped the man, took him to an inn. Said, I gotta come back, I can't be here. When I'm done with my journey, then I'll come back through. John Bloom said, the neighbor that we are called to love is not often the one we choose, but the one God chooses for us. Last one, love your neighbor even if they don't love you back. You know, we didn't, we didn't hear anything at all about how much this man appreciated the Samaritan and how thankful he was that, I mean, it's this, guy's, it's, it's this guy that is responsible for him not being dead. Didn't, didn't tell him, thank you. It's because it doesn't matter. It doesn't, it's not a loophole that relieves us of the responsibility. But what if people are just taking advantage of me? It's not up to us to police that. Jesus said it this way, Matthew 5, verse 41. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, 
Go with him too. So, this was in reference to the Roman authorities. It was not uncommon at the time for them to have a Jewish man pick up their stuff. The law could only force them to carry it one mile. Jesus said two? But I have satisfied my requirement. Imagine that you were sitting with your family there, Jewish man eating lunch with your kids and your wife under a tree by the side of the road, and this Roman soldier walks to you and says, pulls you up and tells you to carry his things and rips you away from your family. What kind of indignation wouldn't, would there be Right? This is not fair. The man has his own horse. He can let his horse carry the bag. But I have to. It's my duty. Let me go. Jesus is not saying to let people use you as a doormat. What he is saying is to make conscious decisions. He was saying that as you get to the end of that first mile and your back is tired and your feet are dirty and you miss being with your family and you get relieved of your responsibility by this Roman soldier, he tells you you can put down the bag now. He's saying, find something inside you. Somewhere that says, you know, you got a long way to go before you get home. Would it... Would it be okay? Would it be okay if I just carried this to your house? Would you mind? It's not up to us individually to make sure we're not taking advantage of others. If we all did that, Last thing, you're loving yourself. That part of it means that God's under, God understands that sometimes you don't have anything to give. We talked about that, right? Giving as you had the capacity to give. It wouldn't cost more than you had. He understands. Make sure that the reason is based on your limits and not a loophole. The Samaritan had limits. He gave the man first aid, but he couldn't heal him. You can care for your neighbor's wounds, but you might not be able to heal them. He gave the innkeeper money, but he didn't take out a loan to pay for it. He gave what he had the capacity to. He promised he'd pay the rest when he came back. Could have been because he didn't know how long it was gonna take for the man to heal. Could be because he gave him all that he had. Samaritan also still had his own journey to travel. Helping others is something that we do along the way. Give what you can, but don't forget in the process that you still have a journey of your own to complete. There is only so much that you can give.
God has a purpose for each of us. By the same token, don't get mad at somebody for helping you, for not helping you, because they had to work on their own journey. It's easy. It's easy. Maybe they were busy helping somebody who wasn't you. He couldn't stay at the end indefinitely. He had to reach his own destination. At some point, the body just can't do anymore. Well, yeah, but that's not reasonable, right? It's not reality. That's just us looking for a loophole. Martin Luther King Jr. said it this way. I imagine that the first question the priest and Levite asked was, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? But by the very nature of his concern, the good Samaritan reversed the question. If I do not stop to help this man, what's gonna happen to him? What if Jesus had been more concerned about what happened to him than what happened to us? Oh, we had reason. That full weight was on him in the garden. Could have felt like he was being taken advantage of. These, these sins aren't even mine. No, no. It was a choice to do it anyway. It was risky. It was messy. It didn't cost more than he had, but it cost everything he had. All that he asks is that you give what you have the capacity to give. Thank you for joining us here at Prevail Church for this podcast. We hope this experience builds your faith and impacts your life. For more information about Prevail Church, visit us online at prevail.tv. Now let's tune in.